0: From the American Association of Nurse Practitioners, I'm your host, AANP President Sophia Thomas. And this is NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner. Welcome to NP Pulse, AANP's monthly podcast, bringing you unique nurse practitioner voices and expertise on issues that matter to NPs and our patients. I'm thrilled today to sit down with America's doctor, the Surgeon General of the United States, Vice Admiral Jerome Adams. Dr. Adams oversees the operations of approximately 6,500 uniformed health officers who serve in nearly 800 locations around the world, promoting, protecting, and advancing the health and safety of our nation. As a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, Dr. Adams has unprecedented insight into our country's current and future state of affairs, and I'm really excited to hear his thoughts and perspective about COVID-19 vaccine production and distribution, keeping healthcare workers safe and healthy, and what we can all expect to see happen over the next several months. So please help me welcome the Surgeon General of the United States, Vice Admiral Jerome Adams. Dr. Adams, welcome to NP Pulse, the voice of the nurse practitioner.
1: Glad to be here with you. And uh, hello to all my nurse practitioner colleagues out there. Just really appreciate any opportunity I have to interact with you all and really lift you up in a challenging time.
0: Well, we really appreciate it. And there's so much I want to unpack with you today. Uh, Right now, um, I want to talk about flu. I want to talk about COVID. In my own practice, I'm actually already starting to see flu cases here in Louisiana. And what I tell my patients this year, now more than ever, they need to get their flu vaccine uh, because we want to avoid any um, overburden on the hospitals and we want to avoid... uh, uh, dual COVID and flu. Can you talk more about that and why it's so important for us to be getting those flu vaccines this year?
1: Well, important for people to know that we have administered hundreds of millions of flu vaccines over the last uh, several decades in this country. Flu vaccines are incredibly safe. They've saved uh, hundreds of thousands of lives just here in the United States. Yet only about 50% of adults gets their flu vaccine in any any given year, and that number drops down to about 40% for African-Americans and for Hispanics and Latinos. This is incredibly troubling to me, especially in the midst of a COVID pandemic, for a couple of reasons, and you hit on those. Number one, uh, we can't afford to have a single person unnecessarily taking up a hospital bed with a preventable disease like the flu. Uh, We we know that hospitals are already um, being overwhelmed with uh, this third surge uh, of, uh, of COVID, and 500,000 people in a regular flu season are admitted with the flu. If we have 500,000 hospital beds taken up this year with flu, that's gonna be more work, more burnout for nurse practitioners, for physicians, for, uh, for caretakers. Uh, we also have to remember that the symptoms for flu overlap with COVID. So when you go in the building and they scan you for your temperature or they ask if you had any of these symptoms, well, if you've got a mild case of the flu, then you're gonna screen positive and they're gonna send you home or they're gonna send your kids home from school. And it's also gonna cause havoc because they're potentially gonna to have to quarantine everyone who's been around you until you get your COVID test back. And so for that sake, um, make sure you get your flu shot. And then finally, it's a great opportunity to really prime the pump for a, a uptake of a COVID vaccine. We're almost to a COVID vaccine, weeks away from starting to vaccinate people, but what, it would be a real shame if we had a vaccine that could end this pandemic and people didn't get it. So uh, this is a great opportunity to have that conversation with your patients and with health providers about uh, the efficacy of vaccines, the safety of vaccines and uh, and really save some lives.
0: Absolutely. And I think you mentioned the COVID vaccine. Um, I've been fortunate enough to sit on the Operation Warp Speed vaccine consultation panel and I've really heard firsthand about the science and the precision with which the vaccine has been developed by all these companies in partnership uh, with Operation Warp Speed, and yet I hear uh, my medical colleagues' uh, concern about the speed which, with with which the vaccine was developed. Uh, I reassure them with the knowledge that I have, but I'd like I'd like you, as America's doctor, to tell us about the development of the vaccine and the science and how we identified this this. Um, uh, the molecules early back in January and have been working throughout the year to develop a a safe vaccine?
1: Well, it is truly a scientific achievement that we should all be proud of that 10 months after sequencing the virus, we have now three vaccines uh, that have uh, been in phase three trials showing greater than 90% efficacy. Uh, But what I want people to know is that this didn't just happen out of the blue. Uh, Starting back with H1N1, we've been continually refining vaccine development so that we could do it more quickly in the laboratory. And so it shouldn't be as much of a surprise as it is that we were able to develop it from a scientific point of view this quickly. Uh, But what we've also done is really streamline the administrative side of things. We've uh, prioritized uh, feedback in the FDA process uh, we've uh, made sure that, that we are scaling up production of vaccines even before we have one authorized with the knowledge that we uh, might have to throw um, millions of doses of vaccine away if a potential a potential vaccine isn't approved, but with the knowledge that that will allow us to, within 48 hours of a vaccine being authorized, be able to start sending it out. Uh, I want people to know that there have been no safety corners cut whatsoever, and uh, This is one number that I think resonates with people. The average vaccine trial has about 3,000 to 5,000 people in it. Each of these trials has 30,000 to 60,000 people in the trials. What that means is that these vaccines will have more safety and efficacy data at the point of uh, public availability than any other vaccine in history. Uh, I want you to know most reassuredly that when I'm told I can get a vaccine, I will be first in line to do so, and uh, that's a testament to my confidence in both the safety and the efficacy and the ability of these vaccines to actually end this pandemic and get us back to normal.
0: Oh, look, I'll be second in line right behind you. I, I've said it myself. I will be first in line to get this vaccine. And well, you I think-
1: can be first, and I'll be second <laughs> behind you.
0: We'll hold hands. No, we won't, because we're not. We're not. We're socially distancing but <laughs> you know i think it's um it's so important what i've been so impressed with with operation war speed is not only have the, the has the red tape been cut and the development has been such that uh, even in early um, phase two trials they already started that with actual production of the vaccine so it would be ready to go uh, in just a few weeks when we say yes it's approved but they've also taken into account the kits and everything that a provider would need to give that vaccine. Um, Can you speak more about about that?
1: Well, we wanna make sure, again, when we get a vaccine across the finish line from a safety and efficacy and FDA authorization standpoint, that there is no obstacle in the way uh, to quickly getting people vaccinated, particularly the vulnerable, and particularly uh, in the context of this third surge. So we're packaging together, needles, swabs, uh, literally anything and everything you could need to administer a vaccine. And we're sending these kits along with the vaccines uh, once we get one authorized so that uh, we can truly achieve our goal of getting vaccines in people within 48 hours after we have one authorized. Truly, a thousand people dying a day, lives are at stake here. And uh, the, the, the more quickly we can go while making sure, again, We are adhering to the highest of safety standards, the more lives that we will save. And I would just say to your listeners, it's critically important that we do all we can to promote vaccine confidence, because the quicker we get people vaccinated, the quicker we safely get to herd immunity, and the quicker our kids can go back to school, we can go back to work more uh, in a safer environment, and we can get back to taking care of uh, the things that are unfortunately are being ignored in the midst of this pandemic. We know that uh, people are ignoring chest pain. And that women are foregoing prenatal care. That people are are not going in for their cancer screenings. There are many harms to this virus, which could actually be mitigated if we can get uptake of a vaccine.
0: Absolutely. And um, let's talk about the well, deployment. We're gonna we're concerned a, a great deal about those who are most susceptible to complications of COVID. So the elderly the uh, Hispanic, African-American, and communities of color, um, those with multiple social determinants of health. Um, So we're going to be vaccinating them as well. You've developed community partners um, as well?
1: Absolutely. So we uh, still believe we're on track to have 40 million doses of vaccine available uh, by the end of 2020. Now, that may seem like a lot to some and not enough to other people. But here's what it is. It's enough for us to make sure we vaccinate every person in a long-term care facility uh, because we know that those are individuals who have died at a disproportionately higher risk uh, than um, than anyone else out there. Uh, And we also know that it will allow us to vaccinate the individuals working in those facilities because the real uh, challenge here is finding out where you can have the most impact um, early on. Uh, and we want to make sure our healthcare workers are protected. And so uh, the the thing I want people to understand is that we aren't making these decisions in a vacuum and we're not making them just within the federal government. The National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine actually independently wrote up a, uh, a vaccine distribution plan taking into account ethics and supply and demand and impact and submitted that to the CDC. And the CDC will use that along with input from the Coronavirus Task Force, to make sure uh, the first doses of the vaccine will go to the uh, people and places where it is most likely to have the largest impact on ending this pandemic. And so I would tell people be patient because not everyone's gonna be able to get a vaccine right away, but know that we are going to make sure the people who can most benefit and where we can most effectively stop transmission is gonna be where we send those first doses to.
0: Absolutely. And protecting healthcare providers is so important. We're all getting tired. We're all burned out. And yet, healthcare providers are getting sick with COVID as well. And we've, we've lost um, several this year. And so we want exactly. to be. Exactly. Sure- and, and
1: one thing I want to highlight, knowing that we're talking to a healthcare audience, is when we dig deep into those numbers, interestingly enough, healthcare providers aren't getting exposed on the job as often as they're getting exposed out in the broader community. Uh, And when they do get exposed on the job, we've actually done several case contact uh, tracing studies. Uh, They're getting exposed in the break room. They're getting exposed when they let down their guard. So what I want to say to the nurse practitioners, nurses, and health providers out there who are listening to this podcast is kudos to you. You're doing a great job on infection control when you actually are taking care of patients. But we need to remember we can't let down our guard when we're around friends, when we're around people who we may not suspect have the virus, and that's in the break room. That's also at home with our extended family, people outside of our household. Uh, That's with people in the community and in our neighborhood. And so uh, we need to all do our part to slow spread and, and know that we're doing our part from a federal level to put your health first.
0: Exactly, and it's so important, even after the vaccine is deployed, I think people do need to remember to understand to continue to wear masks, wash their hands, practice social distancing, because the virus will still be around. We're not gonna be able to reach everybody right away. So we still need to practice those mitigation efforts.
1: Exactly, one of the, the things we constantly talk about are the different tools that we have in the tool chest. And it's a great thing because we have so many more tools than we had earlier this year, but it can also be confusing for people. So we need to help people understand, look, we have better treatments than ever before. We've got remdesivir, we've got steroids, uh, we have convalescent plasma. We have monoclonal antibodies. Uh, those are all for people who've been diagnosed with COVID to lower their chances of hospitalization, further complications, or death. But we also can prevent people from getting this disease in the first place, and an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Uh, when we get a vaccine, we want to make sure we have uptakes so we can prevent disease. Uh, even at 90 95% efficacy, that doesn't mean that you are 100% protected. So we still have to make sure... We are focusing on those basic public health measures that I call the three Ws: washing your hands, wearing a mask, and watching your distance. And guess what? You do those, it'll protect you from the flu, it'll protect you from uh, the common cold, it'll protect you from other respiratory diseases that are common in the winter. Also, so you get multiple benefits.
0: Exactly. And you know, we don't know yet, Dr. Adams, how long the the uh, COVID vaccine is going to be effective. Uh, we're still waiting for data on that. Correct.
1: Absolutely, you know, we're, we're building the plane as we're flying it. And so uh, we'll have to continue to follow people to see how long they have protective antibodies. So far, uh, we've been pretty pleased based on looking at people who've been infected with COVID, uh, the very low rate of those individuals being reinfected. So it gives us confidence that we will at least get through an entire season of COVID, if you will, uh, with a vaccination. And then we'll just have to follow it and see whether or not we've got to revaccinate people next year uh, like we do for the flu every year.
0: And, well, I think and we talk about efficacy. When we talk about 94, 95 percent efficacious, the flu vaccine isn't that efficacious each year. Yet yeah, we, we are pushing those flu vaccines um, and I, we still need to. But I think, you know, to hear that this vaccine is 95 percent efficacious at helping prevent COVID, that's a staggering statistic.
1: Staggering is the correct word. We were blown away when those numbers came back because on the task force, we were doing estimates based on 50, 60% um, effectiveness. And uh, we were hopeful in our wildest dreams that we would get 70, 75% effectiveness. 90 to 95% effectiveness means that we truly can end this pandemic very quickly if we get a vaccine out there and we get uptake. But what we don't wanna happen is that we actually have a safe and effective vaccine and we either don't end the pandemic or we see disparities worsen because you have poor uptake. And that's happening with the flu this year. We actually see more people than ever getting vaccinated for the flu. But unfortunately, when you look at African-Americans and people under the poverty line, their vaccination rates are lower this year than what they were last year. So that is a perfect example of, again, us congratulating ourselves for the averages while ignoring the worsening disparities. And I would caution people that that can happen again with the COVID vaccine. We've all got to do everything we can right now to uh, help people understand the safety, the processes. And I've said it, Dr. Fauci has said it, even if you don't trust the people or the politics, understand and trust the process. And this process, again, will mean that we'll have more safety data, more efficacy data at the point of public release of this vaccine than for any other vaccine in history.
0: Well, I certainly have 100% confidence in this, and and I'm going to be taking it myself and encouraging my patients to do so. And I encourage all my colleagues to to follow suit. Uh, I've been very impressed with the science and the precision with the development of this and the dedication of the team to really making this happen. Absolutely. And so uh, one last question for you. I know our time is short, but we have the holidays coming up and um, we, we still have COVID-19 in our midst. What can you share uh, with us about that?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Uh, we're seeing cases, uh, we're seeing positivity rates, we're seeing hospitalizations, we're seeing deaths, all break records every single day. Uh, every state is seeing uh, cases rise, every territory. Uh, this third surge is unlike either of the first two surges in its breadth, its depth, And its length. And uh, we're going to be in for a hard, a very hard next three to four weeks because we know it takes about that long for the virus to run its course in a community, even if you start doing the right things today. So I want people to be prepared for that. But I want people to have hope because, again, we're weeks away from vaccinating individuals. Uh, What we can't afford is to have another really big holiday surge like we've seen after Labor Day after Memorial Day. And so what I would say to everyone out there is this is the year, this is the time to make your Thanksgiving celebration small and smart. And what do I mean by that? We wanna make sure we're limiting the number of people. Um, We say definitely smaller than 10. Uh, To be honest, 10 is kind of an arbitrary number. Uh, It's based uh, on the fact that uh, no matter how big of a house you live in, it's pretty hard to social distance if you've got more than 10 people around. So I want you to think about uh, how can you properly social distance? I want you to think about keeping it within your household. I want you to think about uh, telling everyone who you're going to be spending Thanksgiving with to make sure they are limiting their exposure to people outside of their normal bubble so they don't bring it home to you. And we need to make sure we're protecting the vulnerable. If people uh, fit into one of those high-risk categories, safest for them to stay home this year so that you actually have a good chance of being able to spend next Thanksgiving with them. That's uh, grandma and grandpa. That's people uh, with chronic medical conditions. And if anyone is sick, uh, any symptoms whatsoever, and they're coming over to your house, you need to tell them you need to stay home. This is not the year to come over with the sniffles. This is not the year to come over with a cough or feeling a little bit under the weather. Stay home. Uh, beyond that, and I, that goes under my category of preparation, I also talk about uh, separation and ventilation. And separation is making sure you have plans for people to be able to socially distance uh, when they do come over. And uh, then ventilation, making sure you turn on your HVAC systems to continuous or turning your ceiling fan on so it pulls air up, uh, opening the windows. And uh, here in Washington, D.C., it's supposed to be 60 degrees on Thanksgiving. It's a great day to try to enjoy Thanksgiving outdoors. These are all measures you can take to have a safer Thanksgiving while also remembering that the safest way to spend Thanksgiving is with your immediate household. So uh, help us get through this surge uh, by, by being smart and by uh, keeping Thanksgiving small so that we can have a really big blowout celebration next Thanksgiving with the knowledge that we did all we could to save lives and bridge us to a vaccine.
0: Exactly, and if you've already had COVID, that doesn't mean you can't catch it again. We have had cases of people catching COVID twice, so just because you've had COVID once doesn't mean you're in the all clear and, and you get a pass.
1: I am so glad you mentioned that. And, and I, I don't want to end on a negative note, but I want people to understand that having COVID doesn't mean you still can't spread COVID to someone else. You still need to take, uh, take precautions. It doesn't mean you can't get it twice. Uh, and getting a negative test doesn't mean that you can't spread COVID to someone else. A negative test on Sunday doesn't mean that I don't have COVID today. And that's why we're doing this virtually instead of in person, because I could expose you or you could expose me, even though we both feel and look fine. And even though I actually did have a negative test earlier this week, because I get tested regularly. Uh, So don't be lulled into a false sense of security this Thanksgiving. Have hope, I know you're tired. Have hope that we are so close to a vaccine that we we, we can see it. Uh, We we know it's coming, we're gonna end this pandemic and get back to normal. And what you don't want is next Thanksgiving to be thinking about that big celebration you had this year that ended up causing one of your loved ones to get sick and end up in the hospital and perish. Think to next year when this pandemic is over and uh, how we can have a giant, a huge celebration. And then also, uh, I do wanna end on a positive note. Uh, There are so many ways that we can stay connected virtually. You can uh, have Thanksgiving over the Amazon Alexa, and that's what we're doing with our grandparents. Uh, you can FaceTime people. You can all still prepare dishes and, uh, and do uh, individual servings and share them, take them and drop them off over at someone's house, uh, and you can still do the potluck. It's just a, a potluck that, that's a little bit different than years past. Uh, there's still ways to make Thanksgiving fun and to be connected, while making sure we're respecting physical distancing so everyone is around to enjoy next holiday season.
0: Exactly. 2020 has been the year of workarounds and we're making it work uh, just like we are right now. Uh, Dr. Adams, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us, to speak to nurse practitioners, and um, we will continue to carry on. And I really appreciate your, your, your day and all the work that you're doing to help protect the lives of all Americans. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. You all are my peeps. Stay (laughs) safe. Uh, Keep it small. Keep it smart this Thanksgiving. Hang in there and uh, know that you've got a Surgeon General who's got your back. Take care.
0: Dr. Adams, thank you so much. As always, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. There are some great resources I'd like to make sure you're taking advantage of that go right along with this discussion on COVID and infectious disease. The AANP website has the latest clinical and policy information related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Visit aanp.org forward slash COVID-19 for information and resources that are updated regularly. Also, the AANP CE Center has several continuing education courses on COVID-19 and the COVID vaccine, as well as so many other courses about various aspects of infectious disease. The CE Center is available at no cost to all AANP members. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, share with your colleagues, and check back each month for new episodes. And as always, Be kind, be safe, and be the voice of the nurse practitioner.